Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Apato listeners. Allison here. Just a quick disclaimer for this week's show. Show Ring's audio drops out at a couple of points during the show, and we deeply apologize for that, but we really value her insight and her input, um, so we still think this show is worth listening to, but we apologize for the audio quality for this week. Also, if you're listening with young kids this week, you might want to tune out. Um, we cover some mature topics um, on this week's podcast. Um, so yeah, just a disclaimer for that. Um, and the audio quality, we apologize. Um, but yeah, happy listening. Batter Welcome back to A Pot of Their Own. This is episode 94 of A Pot of Their Own. I am Allison McCaig, and I am joined this week by my lovely co-host, Maggie Wigan. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Allison. We are also joined this week by Cheryl Ring. Um, Cheryl Ring is a consumer rights and civil rights attorney, writer for Beyond the Box Score, and friend of this podcast. You are all familiar with her. She has been on the show before. Um, Welcome back, Cheryl. We're so happy to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I I always enjoy coming on. 
Um, so in, uh, our listeners can probably surmise why we've brought Cheryl on the show this week. Um, but in recent episodes of the show, we've covered, uh, the upsetting allegations against Trevor Bauer. Um, and we're not going to go back into all the, all the allegations because we've already talked about what they are, um, his victim, what she has said that he did, um, and all of that. But we have brought Cheryl on to talk more about the legal ins and outs of the situation. Um, and Cheryl wrote about this recently for beyond the box score. Um, specifically, uh, Cheryl wrote about, uh, why Bauer's victim could not have legally consented to what Bauer did to her. So Cheryl, can you elaborate on that a little bit more for our listeners and sort of explain, um, why she could not have legally consented? Sure. Um, and it's, it's something I, I, like you said, I, I did write about both. I, I did a Twitter thread on it and then I expanded on it a little bit for um, an article for Beyond the Box score. And basically, um, we, we as a society, we talk about consent in the context of uh, sexual relationships, romantic relationships. Um, but consent is something that really permeates every aspect of our of, of our lives. You go to a medical, you go to the doctor for a medical procedure, and you fill out a consent form. What exactly is the doctor going to do? That's something we call informed consent. Um, you go to uh, to have your car fixed, and the, you consent to have them work on your car. You go to the veterinarian. You consent to have them work on. Uh, to do to do medical procedures for your pet every aspect of our lives is governed by consent and consent is to a large degree contract principles do you have the do, are you awake alert and aware of the consequences of your actions and basically you cannot give consent to anything unless you have what we call capacity in the law. Are you awake, alert, and able to understand the consequences of your actions? And if one of those three is missing, then you probably can't give consent. And if two of those three are missing, then you definitely can't give consent. Um, and so that that's issue number one, that you, you cannot give consent for something that, uh, unless you are awake, alert, and able to understand what it is you are consenting to. Um, and we talk a lot of, in the context of implied consent versus express consent, um, but really, in, implied consent is something that, that a lot of us in the law have been talking about as being dangerous for a while because implied consent is essentially based on the subjective understanding of the person doing the, 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 the person doing the implying. And that and it, as a legal matter, it depends on what a reasonable person would think. So if your belief that a person is impliedly consenting is objectively unreasonable, it doesn't matter if you subjectively believed that that consent was given, it was not actually consent. And then we come to one more point beyond that. Um, there, there, there is a, uh, a principle in the law that essentially what you consent to, you cannot be, it, 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 a person cannot be held liable for. And, th and that makes sense. But like everything in the law, there are exceptions. So for example, I cannot consent to you murdering me. It doesn't matter if you get uh, have a notary there and 53 witnesses and I sign 14 contracts in triplicate. It, you, uh, I cannot consent to you killing me um, because the law says you are not allowed to consent to those things. Um, it's similar. Similarly, I cannot consent to you injecting me with heroin. I can I can, again, sign 53 contracts in triplicate. It does not matter because it is what is known as an illegal contract. And those things fall under a couple of different uh, categories. But basically, the law says 
if it is something where you, death or serious bodily harm will occur or is likely to occur, you can't consent to it. And that's essentially what the point is here, that a person can say, I want you to hit me in the head. But under most circumstances, that is not something you can consent to if you are consenting to the infliction of grievous bodily harm. And in every state, there is, there is a statute that says that no matter how that consent is procured or issued, it is presumed invalid. And that's for a few reasons. Um, number one, because of the nature of the harm. And number two, because the law presumes, and I think correctly, that that kind of consent is likely to be the result of some sort of power imbalance in the relationship that procured it. Uh, to put it in a different way, um, we, we talk in the law about things like um, duress and coercion. And yes, those are the kinds of things that, um, that, that, often, uh, that, that often result from people being forced to engage in things. But there's also something in the law called unconscionability. An unconscionability is basically the idea that a power imbalance has resulted in a, a, a contract term or an agreement that is so beyond the pale that it's what's called shocks the conscience of the court. In other words, no reasonable person in, oh, with all things being equal, would agree to it. So we assume that you did not intend to agree to it at the time, even if you gave consent. Um, and so unconscionable contract terms, you, you hear the word unconscionability a lot in the, con in the context of contract terms, things like a million percent interest or usury laws or things like that. Um, but it also applies similarly here, that if there's a power imbalance in the relationship, the law presumes that this is the kind of thing that would result from that, ergo consent cannot be freely given. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's Another that interesting like angle to this that I've been thinking about, and this is not, you know, part of the legal aspect of it, but it's, I, I feel like folks have been a lot of folks, I've seen a lot of like very casual dismissal of this about like, oh, what happens in the bedroom is not our business and things like that. And I feel, and I feel like the most outspoken folks against that have actually been members of the BDSM community because they've said the, this is a relationship built on trust and this is not the type of thing that any person who actually, you know, engages in this behavior because they trust their partner would ever do. Um, and so I, I found that interesting that people who clearly misunderstand uh, those types of relationships and that, and that community, um, how they speak about this. And yeah. kind of to build off of that. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, the idea of like, um, you even having like education in how to do safe harm to each other in a BDSM context. You know, that's that's an area in which there are people who are experts and they work together. And the idea of, you know, consenting to one level of interaction, there's no, you know, has no impact on whatever else one might in the future consent to. All of these are really just foundational principles in the BDSM community that are just completely shredded in this situation. And I kind of to, to build on this, um, one of the things that I saw a, a, a lot um, when, when I wrote the article was comparisons of uh, this particular situation to things like um, mixed martial arts, um, 
or being hit by a pitch on the baseball field. And the, and the question I, I got a lot was, well, aren't you consenting that also? And one of the things that I tried to explain was the difference between consent and a doctrine called assumption of the risk. If I walk into, uh, if I walk into, uh, the, if, if I walk into the box and I say, I'm going to now try and hit a fastball and I get plunked with the fastball. I did not consent to being plunked with a fastball. I assumed the risk that I might be. Those are two very different things. If I walk into an octagon and I get a concussion, mm. I did not consent to being concussed. I simply assumed the risk that I might be. Those are two very different things. And the reason why that disparity matters as I wrote in the article, is that you can, cons even if you can consent to certain things for civil liability purposes, you cannot consent to them for purposes of, of the criminal law. So even in a BDSM context, if you were to say, I am assuming the risk you may cause injury to me, the only effect of that is that you cannot later sue for those damages. It does not mean that the underlying act is no longer of a criminal one. Does that make sense? It is it, the difference. Just because you can disclaim civil liability does not mean that you can disclaim criminal liability because in every state, the victim is not a party to the criminal proceeding. And so the idea that there was consent to that is really uh, in the best circumstances in the light most favorable to Trevor Bauer. We are talking about something a lot closer to assumption of the risk where civil liability would be absent, but criminal liability most certainly is not. Right, right. So just because there might be civil liability doesn't mean he did not commit a crime. Ab absolutely. And there are a lot of things where there, where you waive your, your, your right to sue someone and then the person ends up getting going to prison for the same act anyway, because you as a victim do not have the right to tell the police whether or not they are going to proceed with an investigation or a prosecutor whether or not they are going to press charges. Prosecutorial discretion vests that decision solely with the prosecutor. And depending on the state, it could be a state's attorney or a district attorney, but whatever the setup, it is solely the decision of the prosecutor. And many states now have passed laws saying that the victim's the victim cannot even have a say in that. Um, and one, one of those laws is actually at issue in the Marcelo Zuna case in Georgia. Right. So one, one of the, the things that's important here is it, it, it kind of undercuts the whole idea that this is some kind of cash grab because, in the, because there's no money awarded in a restraining order case, number one. And number two, when you're talking about criminal charges, you're not going to be talking about any kind of money being awarded because it's not a civil case. And you cannot use civil defenses. Assumption of the risk is not a defense you can use in, a, in the criminal context. It's a civil liability defense. And so if, for example, I were to walk into the octagon, yes, I might assume the risk from a civil liability perspective that I would suffer some kind of head injury. But if someone walks in there with a baseball bat and kills me, there's, there's, these are still likely to face criminal charges, even if they are able to successfully argue that I assumed the risk of head injury anyway. Right, right. And yeah. it's also worth reiterating, I mean, so the, the police investigation and the MLB investigation are both ongoing. Um, Bauer has his hearing this week. 
Um, and it's worth, it's also worth noting again, we, we talked about this a little bit last time, but I feel like it's always worth reiterating that regardless of what happens in the criminal investigation and the criminal proceedings, that does not necessarily have any bearing on what MLB will or will not decide to do. What Trevor, if they decide that what Trevor Bauer did does not rise to the level of a crime, if that's what the court ends up deciding, MLB can suspend him anyway. It does not matter. They don't have to have the same level of a burden of proof because MLB can do what it wants. It's a private corporation. Um, so MLB can still suspend him for the maximum penalty, even if he is not ultimately convicted of a crime or even never arrested um, for, because he still hasn't been arrested. <laughs> uh, and the restraining order can stand even yes. if he is never charged with a crime because the, the restraining order is a div is essentially what we call the law. It's a civil injunction. It is an order prohibiting him from doing something in the future. Um, and, and that is completely separate from any criminal activity unless the injunction is violated. So, the, it, and that's something that it's important to note in order to, and this is something else that I wrote for Beyond the Box War, in order to even receive an injunction, you have to show what is known as a likelihood of success on the merits. In other words, you have to walk in and show the judge, here is my evidence, here's why I am likely to win when this is all said and done. And this, that is actually a really high standard. I get, I do a lot of injunction proceedings. I've won some, I've lost some. I can tell you this is not something where a judge just rubber stamps it, even where it is ex parte, meaning you're the only one there. Because judges are, they are trained to be very skeptical of injunctions because it is what we call in the law a drastic remedy. So if you are walking into a court and coming out with an ex parte injunction, that is because the judge believes that nothing the opposing party says is likely to change their decision. And if you think about it from that perspective, that's a really high standard. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that makes a lot of sense. And Cheryl, the, the other um, thing that I kind of wanted to get your take on, and this is more speculative in nature, but I'm just curious about what your opinion is. Um, we, we talked about last week how um, the police, um, the Pasadena police said that their investigation is essentially more extensive than they thought, that there's like a lot more there than they previously thought. And it was kind of vague um, what they were saying. And so like my first interpretation of that, where my brain went initially was, and it was purely speculation on my part, was just that he might have more than one victim. But I'm curious if you think that that if you, if you agree with that interpretation or if you think that there is something else that might be the reason why this investigation is so much bigger than they initially thought. I think that's possible. Um, I, I, th I think it's possible. I don't know. I think that one of the, I mean, one of the, the, diff the, one of the difficulties with the American system um, is what is known as prosecutorial discretion, right? Prosecutors do not have to charge every crime. Um, there are a lot of crimes that occur that are never charged, and there are a lot of crimes that are charged because a prosecutor simply believes it's an easy win. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the United States has one of the lowest crime clearance rates in the world, not just in, in terms of police investigations, but also in terms of convictions for crimes, because our system is set up that if you that, that if a prosecutor doesn't want to bring charges for any reason. A prosecutor doesn't have to bring char charges if they like what the defendant was wearing that day, or if they think that the defendant might 
put up a bigger fight than usual, or if they just don't want to put the work in. A prosecutor does not need to have a good reason to not bring charges. Whenever you have a higher profile defendant in a case like this, it is much more likely that a prosecutor is going to balk at the possibility because especially in jurisdictions where district attorneys or prosecutors are elected positions, they usually run based on their conviction rate. They want to be able to say, look, I got a conviction on 98% of cases. There's a reason why, the, I, I, last time I checked the statistic, I think it was 96% of cases that went to trial, the prosecution won, which is a frightening statistic for a lot of other reasons we, we don't have to get into right now. But the reason is, but the, the, it sort of underlies the idea that prosecutors will charge cases they think they can win and not charge cases they think they can't. So when you, if you are a, um, if you are a prosecutor and you are looking at this case and you have someone who's worth a hundred million dollars, who you know can put up a much bigger fight than your average Joe off the street, you're going to be looking at this from a completely different standpoint than if it was the average Joe off the off the street. And so I agree with that. I agree with the 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 attorney who was, who was I, I believe it was in USA Today who said that if this was not Trevor Bauer, he would have been charged already. I agree yeah. with that, and I think that the 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 holdup really is prosecutors want to know how much of a fight he really can put up and whether they want to take on that headache. And it's a really cynical take, but I think it's a truthful one. Because let's be honest, if we were talking about the evidence against someone who was not Trevor Bauer, if we were talking about the evidence against someone off the street, there's probably more than enough here to at least make an arrest. And the prosecutor would be saying, well, we, we think that we can at least get a deal out of this because most people who are charged do not have the resources to fight it. Bauer does. And there's a statement to be made there on the, on the disparities and how our, our criminal justice system treats people with means versus people who do not have means. But this is another example of how if you do have means, prosecutors are going to think twice about even charging you in the first instance. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> it explains a lot about where we are as a country. Yes. Um, but getting a little more uh, more of the personal side, um, Cheryl, you, know, you, have, you have written and spoken about uh, your own experience as a victim and Recently, uh, Bauer's representatives contacted you in an attempt to discredit you and scare you, which is another piece that you wrote for Beyond the Box Score, and we will we'll share it. It's really, you know, it's it's a it's an important read, um, and they included the victim's medical records in the email that you received. Um, can you elaborate a bit about these tactics and, you know, what they say about why victims often don't come forward at all? I don't want to go into too much detail just because until and un unless I statutes of limitations have run, I don't want to get involved in something that may end up in litigation. Um, but I will say that, yes, I did receive after I, I published my first two articles about uh, about Bauer. I did receive a couple of I did receive correspondence on multiple occasions from his representatives and they did include his accusers medical records. And they were of the opinion that those medical records were a, at the very least exculpatory. I, I obviously don't agree with that. Um, and one of the things that I, I actually wrote in um in the, the Twitter thread, why I don't think that something that you attach to, um, what, what, I, why something you attach as an uh, exhibit to uh, in an email to a journalist, why that isn't 
exculpatory because in my in my main in my day job because I, I am a litigation attorney if it's something that is worth seeing you attach it to a motion and you show it to the judge if you are fighting if you are having your battle in the court of public opinion that means you think that you cannot win in the in a courtroom that's just something that i have learned over the years it's not always true but it's often true um and so it seems to me especially given the timing that this was far more it would be with the goal of sending a message to to other potential accusers of Bauer. And one of the reasons I say that is I'm not the only person who received those medical records. I know they were sent to at least five other people, um, many of whom are at uh, are at publications a lot more prestigious than than the one that I write for. Not that I don't love Beyond the Box score, but they were they sent them to Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, Fox News, among other places. Um, and I think the message they were sending was, was pretty clear. If you accuse our client, we will send these records all over the place. And the records, um, without going into too much detail, um, they, they were medical records that in many cases were unredacted. With the, and, the, and clearly the message was, we're going to send information about your sexual history and your medical history to the world if you come forward. And it's a scare tactic because the reality is they're not going to convince a potential jury or a judge by doing this. They're not going to end Bauer's legal troubles by doing this. Maybe they'll have some journalists change their minds if they don't know exactly what it is that they're seeing or they're not familiar with the legal process. But this is more so that it is disclosed that they are doing this so that other so, so that other uh, potential victims are disincentivized from coming forward. As another example, um, Bowers representatives also went to a number of tabloids and attempted to shop around his accusers' purported sexual history, including who she purportedly had past relationships with. Again, that is not relevant. And the fact that they attempted to do that is another example of attempted to disincentivize future accusations, not by saying that there's no truth to it, but instead by saying, this is what we will do to you if you come forward. It is purely, it is really purely bullying. That that is what it is. The, the difference between me and some other people is that as a litigation attorney, I was able to recognize the tactic for what it is. Um, because to be perfectly honest, um, they, they, it, this is a tactic that has been used by, uh, by opposing counsel in many, many cases that I've had where I've been counsel for a person who is sexual assault cases um, as part of my practice every day. Uh, not all attorneys will stand that Bowers' attorneys are going. And I think it does not reflect well on them and how they practice because I do know attorneys who are who defend those claims without stooping to this level. Yeah, it's just really upsetting. I mean, you know, the the people representing him are going to do what they're going to do for their client. But, you know, there's a way to do that without resorting to this. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I wonder, I, um, I just feel like there's a lot of, obviously, you know this and um, other other folks in our community know this, but there's just a lot of pain right now on the part of victims. And I'm just wondering uh, what you think, Cheryl, um, about what folks can do just more generally to best support victims right now as they continue to have to see this happening and watch these proceedings go down and watch, um, you know, Trevor Bauer, the abuser, hopefully face consequences, but perhaps not. Um, and, you know, how, how can we um, as a community um, best support them? I, I think there's there's two things. And I don't want to speak for, I, I can only speak for myself. I don't want to speak for everyone who has been in an abusive relationship. I, I can only speak for myself. Um, but I do have, I think, a somewhat unique perspective just because I've been in an abusive situation, but at the same time, I've also represented people who are seeking justice for abusive situations. Um, so first of all, I think it's very important to believe people when they say that something happens. That does not mean that we should immediately throw due process out the window, but due process is as a, as a, a con law professor of mine used to say, due process is what process is due. In other words, it's context driven. And it is entirely appropriate to say, we are going to assume this is true for say employment purposes and we are going, but that does not in any way change that you are presumed innocent for criminal purposes. There are, there are different standards for different situations. Um, and, I'll, and so I think it is important to number one, come from a perspective that if a person is coming forward, all of the data that a person who is coming forward to that has looked at this, I said that the, the, even the ones that have found the most, that have found or exaggerated reports the most, the highest number from a, a reputable study is no higher than seven or eight percent. And most studies say that which means that the overwhelming majority, 99% of the time, according to all data that we have, Someone who is coming forward to tell a story like this, they are telling the truth. And I think that it is really vitally important when we're talking about this in the public square to come from that perspective. Um, that we can say, we are going to assume this is true because the data suggests that it's true and because it is a really hard thing to come forward and, and, make, a, and make a statement like that. And most people who are doing this are incredibly brave. I think that's the first thing. The second thing I think we have to do is to recognize what consequences look like. I wrote about this a while back for Beyond the Box Score when I was talking about why 
zero tolerance policies aren't necessarily the right answer for this um, and why the carceral state isn't necessarily the right answer for this, but why uh, survivor-centered accountability is so important. And if you look at what we're doing right now, we are doing none of that. What, one of the reasons why the carceral state is so ill-equipped to handle this is because of situations that we just saw with Bill Cosby, where you have a prosecutor who is basically playing fast and loose with constitutional rights. And the result is Cosby ends up walking. Unfortunately, it was a legally correct decision and no one ends up getting to any kind of justice at all. Um, and so I think that's important also, that we need to recognize that there needs to be accountability, but the accountability needs to be survivor-centric and not and what is in that person's best interest. I, I've been thinking a lot about this, especially as news broke this week about Stalin Castro being suspended. And I don't know if you remember, um, about eight or nine years ago, Castro was actually accused of a sexual assault. This was before... The, uh, this is before the, the joint policy on domestic violence and sexual assault had been put into place. And at the time, what essentially ended up happening was he waited until the following January to give a statement. The police let him. And because of the lapse in time, there, there ended up being the, the, there wasn't enough evidence to actually pursue any charges. Um, and to me, that's an example of the kind of lack of accountability that is so problematic, where we, we are just going to treat a person who has a celebrity status in a completely different way than another person who would have been faced with the same accusation. So to me, I think it is important that we are consistent with how we are handling each of these situations, that we believe the people who are making these accusations, and that we make sure that we are evaluating each one based on, in a consistent way and based on what is most important for the survivor of that particular situation. Definitely. And it's yeah. interesting that you mentioned Starling Castro because it's, I, I, I have seen at least some indicators of progress when it comes to how teams respond when their players are accused um, because, you know, the, the nationals um, and their manager have been, you know, unequivocal, a, a little bit more unequivocal than others have been in the past when it comes to denouncing this and saying, he's not going to be back with the team. And, you know, I think domestic violence is horrible and we, we absolutely do not tolerate, we do not stand for it, which, um, it was a, lot, a hell of a lot more than the Dodgers did. Um, the Dodgers just seemed to be like quietly distancing themselves from Trevor Bauer without actually taking any sort of stance or speaking out on the matter. Um, so I found that difference in how it was handled to be rather interesting. You know, I, I'd like to think that is a difference, but by the same token, um, Starlin Castro is at this point in his career, a role player who hits for an empty average in a good year. And Trevor Bauer is considered to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. And I wonder what, how the Nationals would be handling it if it were a, a star player who yeah. was accused of these things. Would the Nationals be handling it all that different from the Dodgers? Um, I'd like yeah. to think so, but I don't know. And the truth of the matter is that we've seen so far this year two very well-known players um, face these kinds of accusations and neither team has, uh, neither, neither Atlanta nor Los Angeles 
has taken concrete steps to say we are going to cut ties with these players. And for those who are saying, well, there's a hundred million dollars in Bowers contract, the Dodgers could absorb that really easily. They are the Dodgers are flush with cash. And frankly, the, the, the Rockies years ago, and I think this is worth remembering, the Rockies years ago had a clause in their contract that said we we can turn they actually used to enforce the character clauses in their contract. And there were grievances filed as a result of that, but the Rockies were willing to litigate them. Um, and I think that it's interesting that the, the what is what teams are willing to litigate those contracts, those character clauses over and what they're not, um, because it seems to me that if, if the Dodgers were to say, we believe that there's enough evidence here, we are going to terminate your contract and let a grievance be filed, I think the Dodgers would actually stand a good chance of winning that. Um, and I, and I also don't know that the union would want to die on the hill of defending that particular conduct, especially if the Dodgers were saying, we, we, are, we, we admit that most things would not rise to this level, but this, this, and this, so this is an extraordinary case. Well, famously, the Rockies cut Jose Reyes <laughs> when- Exactly what I was thinking. Accused- they paid him to leave. Yes, they paid him to leave, um, which, you know, yeah. and then obviously the Mets- brought him back after all of that you know um but before we move on to uh you know further further afield topics um this show would be amiss if we did not at least mention the fact that uh major league baseball history was made yesterday when the game between the rays and the orioles was called by by the first all-female broadcast team um in the history of the league now that's not just the like you know in the booth broadcasters that's there was play-by-play and color broadcasting done both by women but then also pre-game and post-game show sideline reporting all done by women. Obviously, there is still a lot of hurdles to clear and, you know, a lot a lot more work that needs to be done as far as making Major League Baseball inclusive for everybody um, because these are predominantly white, cisgendered women um, doing this, but it is still a milestone worth mentioning nonetheless. Hopefully, further milestones will be reached in the future in that regard. So that's exciting. Um, so I figured I would at least mention something happy <laughs> that happened. Um, but yeah, super exciting. And I hope that every man who thinks that every woman talking about sports sounds like his nagging wife. I hope all of those men cried themselves to sleep that night. It is, it is really exciting. I, I do want to echo what you said about the, the need for this to go beyond cis white women. I think it, there are some amazing voices in our sport right now who are uh, women of color, who are non-binary people, who are trans women. And I think that it is past time for broadcasts to incorporate their, their voices as well. Um, but it is a start. And I, I am, I'm really happy that we have a start. But like you said, more needs to be done. But um, moving well, on uh, to further afield topics, I know Maggie wanted to talk about the Olympics. So uh, do I want to talk about the Olympics? I mean, I do, but I also don't. So, I mean, the reason I brought this up when we were talking about, you know, conversation topics for today is that I love the Olympics, that I was like the perfect age demographic for the 96 Olympics, like, it's always been a big part of, of my year, whatever, whatever Olympic year it is. Um, and so last year them getting bumped was a real disappointment. And like, 
there is some alternate world where everyone was a lot more responsible in planning this and in their personal non-sports lives. And it would be my walk-off win for the week that the Olympics are starting and they're happening and they're real. But y'all, it is, it is grim. It is a bad situation out there. Um, an alternate on the U S women's Olympics team has tested positive. You know, there are like a dozen other positive COVID tests coming in. Japan is not ready. Vaccine rollout has been slow for a lot of reasons. Not the least of which is that they have largely avoided a really bad breakout on account of masking, just kind of being part of their cultural norms over there. Um, so vaccination rates are very low. And as a result, COVID is now starting to really explode over there with the more, um, with the more highly contagious variants. So it's just, it's a big mess. And it's not even, and I mean, the Olympics also, don't get me wrong. The Olympics have been problematic for a long time in very many ways, uh, not the least of which is you know, gentrification comes in and overruns all of these cities. Um, and, you know, it's, it's incredibly expensive for taxpayers. It offers very little, you know, comparative income for them. The IOC is incredibly corrupt. There are problems out the wazoo, but right now it's, it's just looking exceptionally, exceptionally unpleasant for the Olympics this year. There was also the first allegation of, I would say the first, I, I hope the only of a rape in Olympic village. It's yeah. It's just a really bad situation out there right now. And I don't know. I don't have like a, I don't have like a punchline for this one. It just sucks. And it's really disappointing because I mean, I'm not the only one out there who thinks the Olympics are just a great, fun, interesting way to explore new sports and get really hyped about people doing incredible things. And that's just so overshadowed right now. Yeah. It's sad. Like, so excited to see like Simone Biles be like the greatest athlete of all time, basically. Um, and please wear not- a mask, Simone. Please Don't get into any elevators. Just be very careful. And it might not even happen. And like COVID, COVID is a problem for the Olympics. It continues to be a problem for baseball. For example, we learned today that half the Phillies roster is unvaccinated, which is just a horrifying number. Um, the Mets still are not at. 85% and they're probably, and we learned re- by recent reporting that they're probably not going to get there. Um, so it's just, it's, it's really bad. It's really bad. Um, and I don't have, I don't have a punchline either, but I was also excited for the Olympics. I was excited for, um, I was excited to watch the U S women's national soccer team because that's like the only team I care about as much as the Mets. Um, and I was excited to watch them defend their title. I mean, I still am, but I just, uh, it's, it's sad. Um, it's sad that the, you know, the choices of the, of others have ruined it for everyone. (laughs) Um, And I would also, I, I realized that this also came out largely, I think during one of my off weeks, but, um, you know, and also hearkening back to what we said previously about, you know, intersectionality and women's issues, but, Um, let us not overlook the fact that the Olympic committees have been persistently racist towards black women in a variety of ways that I can't even, let's see. Um, they, 
eliminated a woman from competition because she smoked a little weed after her mom died actively competing two african women have been excluded from their races because of a beyond questionable so-called gender standard that apparently counts for certain types of races, but not others, if that makes sense at all. I mean, it does make sense if what you want to do is make it harder for African women to compete. That, that makes yeah. sense. Um, and then um, banning a certain kind of swim cap that is the most appropriate for natural Black women's hair um, which doesn't even offer a competitive advantage. On the contrary, if anything, it offers a slight disadvantage, but women are still not allowed to use the thing that is most appropriate for their hair. And, and all of these things happened in quick succession, just in case any Black woman out there might have thought for a moment that the Olympics was a inclusive and welcoming place to anybody who can compete, because it's decidedly not the case. And I would want to throw in there the way that uh, Simone Biles has been getting uh, has been getting scored, um, the way that the rules are being changed. Um, basically, every time she does something that no one else can do, they ban it um, because evidently she's not allowed to be the best in the, the best in the world in her chosen in her chosen sport. Um, and the, the truth of the matter is that um, if if the Olympics were an employer, any any of these things would be grounds for a discrimination suit. That the Olympics would lose. It is that simple. Um, the what what the what the Olympics have done between uh, between the, the using marijuana as essentially a pretext to the 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 hair coverings to the the ridiculous gender based um, testing to the changes in rules, essentially, if it, it, it is it, the, it, any, it, any objective look at those rules from the perspective of anti-discrimination law in either the United States or the European Union would view them as extraordinarily racist, and they are illegal in any kind of context, in that context. But of course, we, we don't talk about suing the Olympics for race discrimination because the Olympics is supposed to be some great world event. And the reality is that this is not a new problem, but it is a problem that is getting worse. Yeah, the, back in my day, um, it was Surya Bonali, the, the French figure skater who could do absolutely incredible athletic feats and apparently was unfair to the other athletes that, for example, she could do a backflip. And so she was not permitted to do a backflip because, because, you know, why should the best in the world get to do the things that make them best? You know, it's, it's just, it's the exact same problem with a new face on it. Yeah. The, 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 the basic question is this. Why, if, if this is the standard, why is Michael Phelps being allowed to swim? Yep. Michael Phelps, by, by most accounts, has, extraordinarily, has extraordinary abilities to not build up lactic acid at the same rate as other athletes, I think. Um, and nobody is saying that he is disqualified. It is very telling who is the target of these rules and how they are enforced. And I, I and again, if any in, in any court that looked at these from a from a, a any kind of legal standard, neither the United States or the European Union, 
they would be invalidated. But we we are, but because it, it's sports and it's supposed to be a quote unquote level playing field, we are not doing that. Yeah, and like if like the Olympics are the highest level of competition you can essentially ascend to in your chosen sport, you're the best in the world, um, and so at that point, if you're imposing standards and setting limits, like that, that holds back the athletes. Like they are trying to show that they are the best and they are trying to put forth their absolute best. And you're, you're basically knocking them down and saying, no, you can't be the best that you can be, which is. And not knocking them down, you know, equally across groups. It certainly does seem that, you know, I, for example, I have polycystic ovaries and my, um, you know, and I'm not taking something for it. My testosterone levels are really high, but I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say, no one would be testing my testosterone levels because <laughs> tried to compete. I, <laughs> I look the correct way, uh, according to a absurd, you know, narrow definition of femaleness and womanhood. It's also worth noting that for the first time, I think in 30 years, a a trans athlete is competing at the Olympics. And there has been a lot of backlash against her because evidently she is somehow unfair to other women. A trans woman is competing in weightlifting. Um, She is not expected to win. Um, right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hope she does. Um, but it, for some reason, but, but evidently, several athletes are are complaining that it is unfair to compete against a trans woman. Um, and, and I think it's it's important to note that several of the same arguments that are being used against against trans athletes um, because of, of a, a so called level playing field. And the reality is that in 2021, the quote-unquote level playing field is how can we make sure that a cis white woman wins this event? Yep. That is what it is. Yep. It's a level playing field where half of the athletes have had parents shelling out tens of thousands of dollars every year for their entire lives to support their training. Like, how's th- how about that level playing field? Maybe that should be of a little more note than, you know... The, the finer ins and outs of the exact level of testosterone any one individual happens to have in their body. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say maybe, just maybe, the rampant economic um, uh, inequalities are the bigger problem when it comes to actually showcasing the greatest talents in the world. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um. So um, I will say that um, I know that listeners of this podcast will ask, um, but we will, I promise we will go back to talking about the the Mets next week, even if we don't want to. (laughs) Um, Which let's be real. I don't even want to talk about them right now. I don't don't want to talk about them right now. They are on my list. I am mad. Yeah. So I, just so you know, we haven't forgotten that we're a Mets podcast. I, I swear, I swear to you, we will go back to talking about the Mets next week. In fact, I think that is probably going to be the central topic of conversation that Linda and I cover next week um, between, you know, whatever the hell transpired last night to whatever the hell is transpiring tonight to all the injuries to various trade targets and more. There's a lot to talk about with the Mets. Not all of it is good. Most of it isn't good, but we'll cover it next week. Um, but in the meantime, 
you can go to amazingavenue.com, check out all of our fantastic content, but then we will end the show this week with walk-off wins like we always do, where each of us talks about something that is making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. So Cheryl Ring, what is your walk-off win? Um, so I have two, if it's, if it's okay, um, number one, my beautiful fiance and I, <laughs> my, my beautiful fiance and I set a date to get married. So I am I absolutely excited. I, 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 so that, that's number one. And, and number two, um, I guess I, I'm kind of cheating a little bit, but, um, the home run derby was fantastic. And, um, it, it's, it's really, really fun to be with, with everything negative going on in baseball right now, it, it's really nice that you can just watch some of the most exciting players do the, some incredible things between Shohei Otani and Pete Alonso and just, just doing, it, it, we, you have a repeat champion of the home run derby, which is pretty amazing. Um, especially given who he was up against. I, I think that's just some really, really cool stuff going on. And it's, we, we are very much in the golden age of the sport, even as much as certain people are trying to ruin it. Yes, I could not agree more. The home run derby was fun as heck. Um, as I mentioned last week. And fun as like, ever? Potentially, yeah. I think so. Um, as I mentioned last week um, and linked in the show notes last week, Linda and I got were lucky enough to be on the SB Nation um, MLB Home Run Derby podcast. Um, so you can hear us live screaming when Pete won the Home Run Derby again. Um, so if that's uh, if that's your idea of fun, you can check that out. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree, Cheryl. I think, you know, even amidst everything that makes you cynical about baseball, and there's a lot to be cynical about, we are still witnessing the best players that have ever played baseball and that there's something to be said for that. And I just, the, the vibe that, that Pete has, was giving off that entire, that entire Derby, it was legitimately inspiring to me to see him just like, just just vibing just in the moment, like, like dancing during the, the timeouts when like, bro, you're supposed to be resting and he's just jamming and like singing along while hitting dingers. It's just like, we should all find something in our lives that makes us as happy as the home run derby visibly makes Pete Alonzo. For real. It was, it was so nice to watch, like to see the, and, and I felt this way about when Jacob deGrom pitched in 2015, the first time he pitched in the all-star game. And it, it's, it's just so nice to get for, to get to see the rest of the baseball community embrace players you already know and love. It's yes. like very fun to get to see everybody else, see how like fun and how goofy and lovable Pete Alonso is. He's just like a big golden retriever who loves to hit dingers guys. And everybody else, you know, saw that. Um, and that made me happy. Cause it's like, this is something that we get to see all the time, but his personality was shining through um, during that derby. Um, and I felt that way about DeGrom in 2015, just watching him like completely dominate hitters and at the time like I mean DeGrom was definitely already on the rise at that point as a prominent uh you know ace in the game um he had the rookie of the year award yeah he had the rookie of the year but he hadn't yet pitched in the postseason the Mets were on their way there um and so I feel like he that was kind of his like national stage debut like people were finally like oh like this guy is one of the best pitchers in baseball and now he's still the best pitcher in baseball um so like I felt that same way about Pete and how 
how Pete proudly declared himself the best power hitter <laughs> in baseball, um, which I'm just kind of like, all right, Pete. I mean, like for me, it's just like, I love the confidence, even if I'm like, oh, you better hit more dingers this year. <laughs> um, but it was, it was awesome. It was so great. Um, so Maggie Wigan, what is your walk-off win for this week? Um, my walk-off win is what I think was the same as my walk-off win this exact week last year. If my Facebook memories are anything, um, any indication, but, um, we had a really amazing beach day on Friday. Um, you know, we, we kept the kids home from whatever summer programs they were doing, uh, because beaches get crazy on weekends. And we just drove out to, it's my favorite city beach. It's called Orchard Beach. It's in the Bronx and um, it's on, it's on the Long Island Sound instead of on the open ocean. So you still got that really nice salt water, but it's super, super gentle. Um, and it's just a beautiful beach. It's, you know, they, the city maintains their beaches really well. There's, you know, lifeguards and a snack bar and bathrooms and it's, and we got there and, you know, we got there like just around 10, just around when they opened. And I like rolled these kids out at two o'clock, you know, barely able to stand. They were so tired and sunburned and just so happy. It was a really, um, it was just a really like, you know, revitalizing kind of time and, you know, just, just be able to do that together, you know, with my husband loves the water too. And, and the kids are both obsessed with it and, um, you know, not swimming yet, which always gives me like heart palpitations, but that's why we're always watching them. And yeah, it was just, it was a beautiful, beautiful day and the kids were so happy and it, you know, it was, um, what, really stuck out at me about our last beach trip last year was it was kind of the last thing that we did before, um, before my son started to get sick and, you know, to go back felt like, you know, felt like we'd really conquered something felt like we were, you know, going full circle, but in a, in a different direction this time, because we did know he was, we, we didn't know something was wrong last time. So yeah, it was, it was just a really, um, it was just a perfect day. It was a perfect day. And I got a new bathing suit, which I felt beautiful in and which Linda said was amazing. So I will take her expertise on that. And yeah, it was uh, a plus beach day, Orchard Beach, y'all check it out. I saw, first of all, I will say I saw the pictures as well. And I agree with Linda's take on the bathing suits. And now you've got two positive reviews. Um, so I will, I will wholeheartedly agree. I will, I, I don't quite bring the same, uh, I guess, shall we say pastiche as Linda, but I will, I will try to replace her in this moment and say that Pete Alonzo just did a thing and the Mets are back in business, oh <laughs> shall God. we say. I'm on such a long delay. I, I heard, I heard it before I knew it because I heard Michael screaming from the other room. So I knew, and I, my, my game day is like woefully behind. Cause he's in the other room with the TV and I, I have my game day on my phone and my game day still just says in play runs, but I think it was a big in play runs. So we will, uh, the Mets are back in business somehow still inexplicably in this game. So that's yeah. a, that's and a live my react. YouTube, my YouTube TV is telling me that, Pete, is it that in a, a one count? <laughs> good, oh, good. No. 
very good. No, they, I think the inning's like already over or they're changing pitchers yeah. or something. Anyway. Oh, ahead a minute and a half. That's great. Um, but anyway, um, my walk-off win for this week, um, is that I stepped on the soccer pitch for the first time since 2018 yesterday. And it felt so good. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I've played soccer my entire life. Um, basically from age four until age 28 in various ways I played, um, I played in high school, I played in college, Um, and then I played basically rec soccer, um, when I was a grad student, when I lived in Baltimore, I played rec soccer, like every year, every season, basically like all year long, I played indoor soccer in the winter. Um, it's just basically like, other than like watching baseball, following baseball, like soccer's like, um, soccer's always the sport I've loved to play. I played one season of softball and I was terrible at it. So (laughs) baseball, despite being my biggest love, as far as sports, I love to watch soccer is the sport that I've always played. Um, And so, um, but there was a break there, probably the longest, like I said, I've basically continuously played from age four to age 28. And so um, when uh, I moved from Baltimore back home to New Jersey to do my uh, my fellowship after graduate school, um, you know, there wasn't really a league for me to play in. I was living in suburbia. I was very far from the nearest like rec soccer league would, would have probably been in New York City. And it's just not feasible for me to do that. Um, and then COVID happened and obviously no leagues were happening anywhere at that point. Um, and so um, then I moved to DC um, in the summer of 2020. COVID was still happening. Um, and, you know, I didn't feel, I think they started up the, I don't remember exactly when they started up the leagues again, but I obviously was not going to do it until I was vaccinated. Um, so the, this is basically the summer season is the first se- first season after I got vaccinated because I got vaccinated in spring and I believe the spring registration already passed at that point. Um, and so I finally was able to play soccer again. And it's just something that I've missed in my life. And it was, I had a really fun time. And, um, you know, these rec um, soccer leagues were a way that I made a lot of friends in Baltimore when, you know, making friends as an adult is really hard. (laughs) You know, like you don't have like- it's not, it's not the same as like when you're a teenager and you're in college and like, you're with all these people, like, because you all live together and you're all at the same life stage and like, you're going through identical things together. So like you inevitably like forge friendships, but like, that's really hard as an adult. Cause like everybody has their jobs and their families and you know, their lives. And it's just really hard to make connections with other human beings. So, um, I just, it's really nice to actually do social things again, in addition to, you know, the fun that I had, you know, actually playing. Um, so, you know, that was, that's my walk-off win. I'm just excited to be back on the soccer pitch. Um, I plan on continuing to play for as long as I can, as long as I'm not injured or, you know, as long as COVID doesn't present an additional problem. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Um, so yeah, um, that does it for the show this week. Um, Cheryl, where can people find you on the internet and find your writing? It, it has been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ring underscore Cheryl. Uh, you can visit my website, www.cherylringlaw.com. That's with an S, not a C. Uh, and you can read my things at Beyond the Box Score. Uh, I write a couple times a week. So there's generally something really fun there. And I would be remiss if I didn't do a pitch for my absolutely amazing fiance who writes at Jalopnik and is just generally awesome. So if you're into cars for uh, and you want to read the best writer in the world about cars, go and read Mercedes Streeter at Jalopnik. That's awesome. I didn't know your fiance wrote about cars. That's so cool. 
Um, so yeah, check out Cheryl's writing, check out her fiance's writing if you're really interested in cars. Um, and you can check us out at amazingavenue.com. Like I mentioned before, check out all of our fantastic content. I have first half meters for you guys. I know you guys like the meter segment. I do too. Um, and we also have game recaps for you analysis, all those, all the trade targets for the Mets. We got you covered everything. Um, go to amazingavenue.com. You can follow amazing Avenue on all the different types of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at amazing Avenue. You can follow this show on Twitter at a pot of their own. You can email the show own at gmail.com. We love getting emails from you. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at petite PhD and you can follow Maggie. Where are you, Maggie? Maggie one, six, two. So follow Cheryl, follow each of us. Um, please rate and review the podcast and subscribe to it on your podcast app of choice. Um, I, I made a Twitter thread not too long ago about this, but sometimes our reviews are kind of negative. Um, so it's really, ne- especially like shows that are hosted by women tend to get negative reviews online. Shocking. Um, so uh, if you really like the show, it would be really helpful both for people to find it and just for our general morale and happiness. If you could leave us a positive review on your podcast app of choice. Um, so yeah, please especially if you don't want us to stick to sports, we definitely want to hear if you don't want us to stick to sports, that would be fun and interesting and new. Amen. Amen. Um, so yeah, please rate and review the show if you can. It really, really helps. Um, but yeah, the original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcast.